Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Please play this song on the radio. Please play this song on the radio. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, we're back. It's now That's Why Club Music, volume 24, March 2007. I am Chris Podcast. With me, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, he will break it off anytime you want. He is Fergalicious. He is irreplaceable on the show. Nico Vasillo. Nico, how are you? Hey, man. I'm here. I'm super excited for a little 24 play, and I'm really excited to get into this. We, um, you know, definitely nothing happened. We definitely did not have a strange amount of time off because um, I, I injured my arm and, and couldn't use a computer for a while. That definitely didn't happen. Everything is normal. Uh, we're back. And in that time, between where we definitely weren't away from the show, um, there was some funny pop stuff. Uh, last time we, we talked, uh, Lil Nas X was blowing up the charts. Uh, he has since seeded that number one position. Um, but outside of that, I want to go over to the Billboard album sales charts. Have you, have you seen what is going on over there? Oh, you know, you have to imagine that this was like a fucking holiday for me. That this was a gift. <laughs> you have to know that this was a gift for like me and only me. It was amazing because I'm getting shit for it from every corner of the internet because somehow the gays are mad at me for thinking that it's awesome. But I also kind of get where it, you can explain it because I, I have so many opinions. Oh, so uh, I, I believe uh, Lover did slip into the number one spot for one week, This ta- the new Taylor Swift album. Uh, that is 17 tracks for some reason, and uh, mostly mostly boring. It's just kind of like, it's the most Taylor Swift album. It's just like a synthesis of all of her sounds into one kind of uninteresting mishmash. Even Jack Antonoff kind of phones it in on this one. But so she was there for one week, and which is, I guess, kind of a big deal after Reputation wasn't that great and none of her singles were making number one because of uh, uh, Lil Nas X. Uh, but then all of a sudden, this <laughs> the, uh, the young Twitter Swifties, the, the internet stands, were getting very angry about this new band whose nobody has ever heard of who might come in and take the number one spot away from her after only one week. This band that uh, no one's ever heard of called... Uh, 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 let me check my notes here. Tool? So I have been sitting here like I'm the only Tool fan left on Earth. Like, I'm the person going, maybe the new album will be relevant. But I, I know better. Oh, dude, trust me. From my Facebook feed, you are not the only one. Yeah. So I've been waiting for this record since, God, what was this? 10,000 Days, and 10,000 Days came out in like 2005 or something. And... Yeah, it's been a minute. I, I've i seen them in concert since a few times. I just fucking love Tool. I love Maynard. Uh, Maynard and Tool are... Maynard and Tool. Wah! Tori and Tool are good buddies. Tori and Maynard have duetted together. There's a really interesting recording of Tori doing a song from my favorite Tori record, Boys for Pele, called Muhammad, My Friend, with Maynard on backup vocals. Tori's actually famous for really unusual backup vocalists. For instance, the completely unrecognizable Trent Reznor backing vocals on Past the Mission, or Damien Rice appearing on The Power of Orange Knickers. It's always really unusual who she chooses to collaborate with or not, and Tool is just somebody that I knew through that sphere and through having eyes and MTV. And I have my tool shirts, and I, of course, still have the glasses that if you wear, you can look at 10,000 Days the right way, and I know which tracks to sync up, and which tracks to put in reverse order, and which tracks I need to have taken a diuretic and be holding my head in a fishbowl while praying to Maynard's dick. I know all the tricks. And I just, number one, can't imagine Tool would be a number one selling act ever again. That's just but, impossible to me. It, it does kind two. of go to the fact that uh, album sales, we've, we've talked about before, album sales don't mean what they used to. Because uh, oh, yeah. I think anyone who's who's got a fan base that is buying medium, like will will get pushed up there just because it's uh, the barrier to entry is so low. But I mean, that's, I'm not taking anything away from them. Like that's fucking 
uh, it's great. It's funny. It's been blowing up, and I love it. And so my gays are kind of like, I don't know how you can be defending this band whose name is stupid, by the way, Overtaking T. And I'm like, I, I've loved this band since I'm 10, so I understand how I can do it. And then I have, you know, but honestly, reasonably speaking, I'm not shocked that Taylor Swift fans couldn't tell you who Tool is. Tool has oh, no. always fought to be obscure. The funniest fucking thing about Maynard being famous for being Maynard is the guy literally situates himself in the back of the stage next to the drummer because he wants so little attention on him. Does that explain a perfect circle? No, but what are you going to do? And so all my metal friends are kind of like, you know, good, fuck Taylor Swift fans. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They just don't understand. They don't know it. And I bet there's a ton of really cool, badass Taylor Swift shit you guys have never heard of. Not that I think there's a whole lot of badass Taylor Swift shit, but it's out there. And they're like, man, you used to love metal. And I'm like... What the fuck is happening? Can I not make anyone happy? Who am I? Justin Timberlake? There's no nuance in the in the age of Twitter. You, it's everything is A or B, black and white, up or down. Uh, you can't you can't have nuance. You're not allowed to do that. Hate all the things or love all the things. Hate and love all the things. Love everything till it's like time to collectively hate it. That is one of like one of my favorite things in the entire world is we're getting very close to the minute that they're going to start dropping all of the Game of Thrones. Was it really even worth it? Op-eds? Because we're still getting finale reactions, but we haven't gotten those Game of Thrones, a look back 10 years after the pilot, because it's not there yet. But the second Oh, well, mm, I've seen a couple of those on YouTube. They're they're out there. They're floating around. I don't care about the videos. The videos, I mean, everybody's got a reaction vlog, but I mean, like, think pieces. I mean, like, long, well-sourced, written work on the subject. Because, you know, I, I, since the last episode of Now and Again came out, between X's for mm-hmm. Podcast and HTML, uh, two other shows I'm lucky enough to work uh, slaved up like a fairy in a basement for Joey. I just make these shows in my little dark cauldron, and I think I've released 30 of them. <laughs> and <laughs> in... I think, um, dude, 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 wait, where was I a second ago? I just got so excited about something. You're, you're, you're the Cage Club's little Nas X, just like pumping out those remixes, keeping it number one. I can't stop. You know, it's that Joey Won't keeps stop. giving me this opportunity to talk. He keeps saying, I want to know more what you think. And I say, okay, sure. Uh, I want to talk about comic books. And Joey's like, well, you know, I don't know too much about them, but I trust you. And I say, that's the dumbest shit ever. Ha ha ha. And then I call a bunch of my friends and I'm like, hey, do you read comic books? No? Get ready for a crash course, bitch. And before you know it, I've done 60 episodes of HTML since December. I've done 60 episodes of X's for Podcasts since September. It's crazy. Yeah. And uh, cageclub.me. Check, check them all out. Go, go, uh, go over there. Um, I will just say, since you since you brought it up, uh, if anyone is looking for like some a quality video essay on, um, I almost called it Lord of the Rings. What the fuck is that show? Game of Thrones. Um, check out Lindsay Ellis's uh, two part, two hour kind of deconstruction of the uh, the final season versus previous seasons and kind of the character arcs and how, according to her, all of the characters got suddenly very stupid when the writers wanted to wrap up the show. Uh, it's called We Need to Talk About Game of Thrones, I guess, uh, and it's really really good. Uh, even as someone who didn't really watch Game of Thrones, um, she's just a really good uh, yeah, yeah, art critic. Uh, so go go check those out if you want some more people angry about Game of Thrones. Anyway, uh, this is a pop music podcast, apparently. And uh, yeah, you want to talk about Fergalicious? Fergalicious definition make this podcast crazy. I need to say one more time, I love just about everything Fergie does, with the exception of that national anthem. I love how often she spells. I love that image that goes around the internet that's the commemorative plate of that time Fergie (laughs) pissed her pants on stage. I love... I, I love MILF money. I love... 
London Bridge. I just love Fergie, right? I think she's amazingly talented. I think she was a child actress, and she fought her way to fame, and she got into the Black Eyed Peas by having the biggest fucking balls. She said, you guys need me, and Will I Am said, prove it. She sang, and that's what happened. So I'm personally a big fan of not just Fergie's talent, but her commitment to excellence. Now, I want to pause that all for one second. Fergalicious is the modern Wang Chung. Mm, uh, explain. So, I often think the funniest thing in the world is people should try to cover Wang Chung. Everybody yeah. have fun, but they should put in mm-hmm. their own band name, <laughs> right? Because that's what you should do. You shouldn't sing Everybody Wang Chung tonight. It sounds kind of racist in a modern time anyway. We should stop saying That's Wang true. Chung, you know? So I feel like, though, what's going to happen if Five Seconds of Summer covers it? Everybody Five Seconds of Summer tonight? That oh, yeah. sounds terrible. A night is way longer than five seconds. But Fergalicious has created this situation where outside of Sarah Ferguson, former Duchess of York, I don't <laughs> think anyone should cover this. I don't know if anyone is covering this. That's okay. <laughs> And uh, Colin Ferguson? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ferguson from Closer Explains It All. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Fergie created something that is so hard to do. If Beyonce wanted to write a song about how she's beautiful, whether she's laying in bed or taking a bath, and she wanted to call it Bed, Bath, and Beyonce, I'd be fine with it. Fergie you know, that's one of my uh, my trivia team names is Bed Bath & Beyonce. That's beautiful. Yeah, Fergie very good. managed to make her name a thing. She's Fergalicious. She doesn't say she's Popalicious. She doesn't say she's Glamourlicious. She doesn't say she's Crunkalicious. She doesn't even say that she's Methylicious. She says <laughs> that she's Fergalicious. And it took her to the next level because to have that kind of brass... To have that level of hubris is so pop. It's so the iconic identity of popdom. And I feel like if you're able to turn your name into a status, that's that's hitting it, man. And is she forever the most famous? You know, do we still all line up around the block just to watch what she's got? Probably not, you know? But let's be real it's years later and she's still up at the gym just working on her fitness we're all her witness she does occasionally still have them boys on rock rock so i feel like (sighs) i love you fergie if you're listening friend of the podcast fergie hi if you're listening i just want you to know that i'm ready to collaborate with you because i'm nicotastic and uh that definition is pretty much the same thing as yours but gay hmm yeah, all right then. Um, <laughs> I feel my, my one, I actually like the song a lot more than London Bridge. Um, it's, I, I'm going to say this, and you have to take it with a grain of salt in like saying that like, like 0.5 is greater than zero, but only in that relative way. Uh, it is less annoying than London Bridge, but it is still pretty annoying. Uh, it, I think it does, it falls into all of the traps that like Will I Am always falls into. And this is the song of their collabs that we've heard so far that most sounds like they're just late era black eyed peas, but getting rid of the dead weight so they can keep more of the profits for themselves. Like this feels very, uh, boom, boom, pow era, 2000 and late, you know? Uh, but it's, it's fun. It's, it's got more to it. I think than London bridge. Uh, it just, it does feel very, very well. I am. She's having fun here though. I think she's having, you know what, you know what this kind of feels like though, between the video and the song, this feels like a rejected Missy Elliott song, like a, a Missy Elliott song that like got knocked down through like three people and a couple of a couple of different passes on it, uh, which is you know maybe what? why I think it's a little At- bit better because it's got some trappings of better songs. Number one, that Missy performance at the VMAs was like the greatest motherfucking thing of all time. I don't watch the VMAs, but I sure did look up that performance on YouTube, and you all should as well. She does like every fucking hit from her career same choreography, a bunch of the same dancers, top to bottom, it was beautiful. 
Uh, but you know what? Now that you're saying it, I can kind of hear, Miss You know what I mean? Like, I can hear it. Uh, yeah. That said, that said, I feel like if, you know, okay, so one of the things that I have always loved about Vincent, I, I said that wrong. One of the things I have always loved about Vincent D'Onofrio, go on. And Missy Elliott is that their music always sounds like Vincent Price would be really into it. Uh, it's just a uh, little bit uh, creepy. It's just a little bit macabre. It's always kind of got that like kind of to it, and it's always a little bit surreal and a little bit Halloween, right? I think yes. all she's in a lot of costumes sounds, in this video. Yeah, it's 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 very it's very fun, and I think Will I Am took the same basic sound that Timbaland and Missy Elliott had, and he took out the Halloween part and put in Doritos. <laughs> okay. And I think that is where the Black Eyed Peas sound comes from, because you could absolutely change this to Pepsi-licious. Yeah. It's shocking that there wasn't some kind of version of this. Yeah. Crunchalicious, Cheetolicious, yeah. Skittlelicious. Hersheylicious. You could just on a boat alicious. You could never stop. The meme sepsilicious is incredible. And Bootylicious. Oh wait, fuck. Uh, we're trapped in Oh no, now she's fusing with Beyonce quick. Someone, stop Will I Am. He's trying to make one pop star out of two pop stars that don't want to work with him anymore. Uh, their power levels, they're they're over two thousand and late. Oh gosh. Wait, is it two thousand and late, three thousand and great? That's pretty stupid. I don't know. The lyrics to "Boom Boom Pow" are really stupid. They sure are. Also, but I I do now now that you mentioned it, I do think every song uh, would be better with Vincent Price laughing at the end of it. I cannot disagree. I also so there's this thing, you know. <clears throat> I'm a huge Disney Parks guy, as everybody who knows me knows. And one of the most fascinating things is that Vincent Price recorded a one-of-a-kind, uh, tremendous, beautiful dub for the very different Haunted Mansion in Disneyland Paris. One of the things that the Disney parks are known for is for having a different style Haunted Mansion in every park. In fact, for many years, they were always built in a different land. This way, they each reflect something different. The one in New Orleans Square is a haunted, rundown plantation. The one in Liberty Square is a gothic uh, kind of colonial manor. The one in Tokyo Disney is in their fantasy land, etc. And in Disneyland Paris, it's in an area called Thunder Mesa, which is part of their frontier land. And it's a very different take on the horror story of the Haunted Mansion, and it's really tremendous, and I really love it. And when it was opened, they had Vincent Price record this brilliant monologue for it. And the difficulty was that Vincent Price had a lot of trouble with the French for the translations, mm. and so he couldn't do the French translation, and then ultimately, that meant that it didn't match the French version, so it was used for about a year, and then it was removed in place of a different recording. But Vincent Price fans rejoice. The original Vincent Price recording is returning to the park. And if you're a Vincent Price person or you're a Disney Parks buff, that's a pretty cool intersection of those two things just in time for Halloween. Yeah, and uh, everyone should go watch. Uh, if you've never seen a Vincent Price movie, go watch The Abominable Mr. Fibs like yesterday. It's, it's, it's October. Go, go watch some horror movies. Um, that's, that's, that's a great movie. Uh, and yeah, uh... You guys should also watch House on Haunted Hill, and then go check out the recent Netflix series, The Haunting of Hill House, which is, for my money... Oh, so good. ...the best TV show of the last, like, four or five years. Excellent, excellent show. It's it's very, very good. Uh, I expected to put that on the background, and I watched the entire thing in one day. It was really, truly, like, it was transformational for my marriage, because horror is, like, my favorite genre, and my husband is very, very fear-phobic... He doesn't like to be scared. I like to be challenged by the notions of fear, but that's not how he sees it. He found so much beauty in the art 
of The Haunting of Hill House that he got through the whole thing in like three days with me. It is just such an incredible piece of art and I cannot wait for the sequel season. It's an anthology, so they're going to do The Haunting of Bly Manor and they will be using a handful of the same actors in new roles. I'm cool. very, very excited. Cool. Um, kind of an American Horror Story thing, except this, uh, I don't like American Horror Story. Except now they're doing like an 80s camp slasher thing, and I might have to watch that. Uh, yeah, oh man, just speaking of Hill House and just art, uh, so that we don't have to go to the next song, uh, that episode that's done in like three three cuts, or three edits, holy fucking shit. Incredible. Oh my god. Just amazing. It was just, it, and, and the, the, one of the things is they used like almost a Lynchian level of light and sound to convey fear. There was so much to the atmosphere of that show that I found just as impressive as the acting, just as impressive as the writing. It was it just fired on all cylinders for me. I felt like the there were never any desperate shock scares no. and there there was never any needless manipulation of my feelings, though there were times where I was like how could you do this to me? And uh, have you read any of the... I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a lot of theories on the ending. And uh, no, I have not. We'll talk about that in the green room, though. I have some words about the ending, but uh, yeah, that's for off air. Go, go watch it. I will say, if, if, you're, if you're, again, it's Halloween season, go watch something spoopy. Uh, if you're not like into like the, the modern like jump scare kind of thrill ride stuff, it's really not like that outside of maybe like the first half hour of the first episode. Um, though I will say... Uh, it had a jump scare in there in somewhere in the season at some point that is the best jump scare in like the last five years and it straight up got me and I didn't feel like it was cheap. It was really fucking well done. Okay, yeah, so Rihanna, Break It Off featuring Sean Paul. This song is about doing the sex. And it really suffers from fourth single-itis because there's no video for this and it's not very, there's no effort from anyone on this thing. I actually think it suffers from a lack of talent-itis and now, we have been occasionally critical of Rihanna, but I have said a million times that I think Rihanna has to work 50 times as hard as anybody else. And Fergie may, I may, you know, sing Fergie's praises, and I think Rihanna and Fergie are kind of on the same level, but the difference is Fergie's got that fucking voice, and Rihanna doesn't. And part of how Rihanna has been so famous and so successful is so many of Rihanna's moves are so cleverly calculated. It's the song that shows off her range. It's the song that shows off her emotional vulnerability. It's the song that shows off her talent. And she has very cleverly built a career by showing you the Instagram side of Rihanna. And there's nothing wrong with that. This song is one of those few times Rihanna's more meager vocal talent shines through and you just got to wonder, who allowed this to go to the radio without working a little bit more with an engineer who might be able to take the light airy out of how she kind of barely hits some of those notes? Yeah, yeah there's there's nothing nothing going on here. This feels like a song that I think we, you might have said this previously in this early Rihanna stuff. Like, it could have been anybody singing this song. There's nothing Rihanna about this song. And I think she will kind of down the line find a role that fits her. I think the Rihanna era of like S&M, Disturbia, like poppy, but like kind of grimy and sexy, you know, Christina Aguilera, D-I-R-R-T-Y kind of style. Uh, I think that's my favorite Rihanna. I think she kind of finds her voice there, but this could be literally anybody. And I feel like how much of it is Sean Paul tells us that it really could have been anybody. This is a Sean Paul vehicle, not a Rihanna vehicle. And it just so happens they're on it together. Oh, I wouldn't be shocked if he recorded this without even knowing who the female voice on this was going to be. It was just like, yeah, we got Sean Paul's part. Let's figure out who's going to be uh, singing the vocals on the other part now. Like, just it, it's it's plug and play. It really is. Truly. talk about some fucking good songs for once Nelly Furtado say it right probably my favorite song off of this album ah mine's do it but I really appreciate you love oh, the dude, one it's really good. number one this was a humongous number one for her it was one of her most successful songs and I think it's the 
Nelly Furtado song that best exemplifies the Timbaland, Nelly Furtado, Justin Timberlake era. I think. Yes. Promiscuous is a really great song, but Promiscuous is really a duet. And we got to stop pretending that that was Nelly Furtado. That was Nelly Furtado and Timbaland. He has just as much vocal time as she does in that track. And yes. here, she's out on her own. And this is probably some of the most Nelly lyrically, some of the most Nelly vocally. Everything about this song is a million percent her. And I think with minor tweaks to the production, this thing could be a hit on the radio today. Yeah, absolutely. This song is, this is the Timbaland sound to a T, kind of how we've talked about how the Neptunes very much had a sound that carried them through their peak. This, this is very emblematic of, like you said, that this period of Timbaland even fucking apologize when one, one Republic gets Timbaland for a minute. We'll have trappings of this in it. Timbaland is a little bit one note. And I think this is the song that suffers the most from his weird, like, insertions into a lot of songs that are unnecessary. Like, first off, he's just, every video he shows up for no reason, and he just, like, doesn't look like he's taking anything seriously, which is a little annoying. And the, the like, the, every fucking song, he's just in the back going, like, eh, eh. I think that's the worst in this song because it stands out the most and takes away from something just so much better that's going on around it. And it's partially that what he does is so... Because I, I understand you're calling him one note. I think he actually does have layers. Like there's that... Like I said, there's the Halloween sound, that that opening riff of Crimea River. It, it kind of... Like, what's really funny is I always think that that song kind of sounds like, we're the lollipop guild! Like I think <laughs> it sounds creepy. And this has all of the airs of the creepy... Timbaland, it doesn't have, for my sake, what I call the the soaring Timbaland that is Apologize. Though I think Apologize okay. is closer to the middle ground. But this is definitely kind of the pinnacle of him reaching out for that. I, and I don't want to be reductive because I feel like the comparison I'm going to make is an unfortunately reductive one, but I don't mean it as such. For my money... This is the most clever thing Timbaland has pulled off using a female fronts person for his sound's identity since Are You That Somebody by oh, I was I was waiting to mention Are You That Somebody because I think that is I think this period of uh, Timbaland is one note. I think he found what was working on the radio and just kind of ran it into the ground but it is a very different sound from what he was doing with Are You That Somebody for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like he's going to change modes again and he's going to go for something a little bit more direct. I feel like one of the things that Timbaland is using at this point to create this sound is what's not there. There's a lot of empty space that you fill in with your ear. And... Mm -hmm what's not empty space, like you pointed out, is dominated by his sound. And I love his sound. I've been a big fan of this record since the day it came out. It was like Rhythm Nation for a new generation. By the way, just so everyone knows, I will not be seeing the Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation tour. It will only be nine dates, so I won't be able to see it. It's fine. Hopefully she does a full tour. But this song is... And, you know, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but I kind of feel like it would be unfair to talk about this song and not track five at the same time. Track five? Akon? No, My Love by Justin Timberlake. Oh. Oh, piss. Which was... That's... Shit. I, I missed that song. Yes, please talk about that while I brush up my memory on that song. But there's just one thing I need from you. Say I do. Because I can see us holding hands, walking on the beach, our toes in the sand. I can see us on the countryside, sitting on the grassland side by side. You could be my baby, let me make you my baby. It was produced by Justin Timberlake. It really feels like a thematic sequel to the promise of the growth of sound that Justin Timberlake showed. When you think about Justified, Justified is kind of a really... It's a, it's a boring record. It's kind of lame, right? But 
Future Sex Love Sounds really was trying to be something progressive. And come to find, and it's coming to me on air, I'm realizing that it's very possible that part of what we've loved about Justin Timberlake as an icon is we've loved the dressings of Justin Timberlake as a celebrity, and we've loved the minds behind the words that Justin Timberlake is singing. For instance, he was part of the initial wave of Max Martin mega success in an era designed to propel young, handsome white men to the top. From there, he started to work with the Neptunes and released several singles that worked with the Neptunes and Timbaland. He followed that up with a record nearly exclusively with Timbaland. The album after that was probably best known for the song that he wrote about his grandfather loving his grandmother. I can't even get into it. But I feel like that was us loving Justin Timberlake as a person, marrying Jessica Biel, being an adult. We didn't need the context of a voice behind the scenes. And that would probably be why Man of the Woods has been so unsuccessful. Because this is supposed to be the first time we're getting true Justin. Unedited, unfiltered Justin. And I'm starting to think this entire era of Timbaland's success was really Timbaland as a producer using different people the same way Calvin Harris does Hmm. now where Calvin Harris gets to be famous by and I don't want to use the term hiding but we don't burn out on Timbaland as a person the way we burn out on the people singing for him Timbaland's yeah. not in my face all the time. I don't fucking turn on my TV and Timbaland's trying to sell me a drink through a shitty exactly. ad. But these celebrities that he kind of shields his fame with, it's a really fascinating read that maybe that's why we loved this era of Justin. And maybe that's why my precious Nelly Furtado was never more successful than under the pen of Timbaland. He's a very smart man who knows how to reskin his character as needed to play in whatever the game throws him. I think that that could be part of it. And I, I will say I didn't need much time with this song to remember all of it because this is easily my favorite Justin Timberlake song. This chorus fucking slaps. Um, but I also think that what you were saying... It gets referenced in Space Olympics by Andy Samberg. Oh, yeah, yeah. Welcome to um, your Space Olympics. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, you threw me off with some Lonely Island stuff. Uh, oh, I think... I'm <laughs> so sorry. I've said, I've said often on the show that, like, the late 2000s has no real identity. Like, there's, there's no... I've said, I've said, like, there's no culture in the 2000s. And I really do kind of mean that. I feel like maybe a reason that this Justin Timberlake sound kind of stopped here or that Nelly Furtado didn't get to hit these highs again was because everything at this time is very of its moment and a lot of it kind of can't survive outside of that exact moment and I'm sure they did change their sounds but it's just this time and this place kind of is captured so well it's hard to escape it it's like being it's like being stuck in Groundhog's Day with these sounds you know it's just like you can't get out of it for it to to keep having that same idea, you know? Uh, like, it doesn't work in 2008. It doesn't work in 2005. It's very much of its time. Um, and I have a question for you, because if I remember correctly, on previous episode, you said that you really... Uh, I don't know if it was just that specific song or in general, you really hated falsetto Timberlake. Does that carry over here? Because... I do. I genuinely... He does. It does. With that in mind, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing it, and he does kind of sound like a Muppet or someone doing like a parody of a falsetto singer. It really, really does. It is a special thing. And, you know, there's a friend of mine is an incredibly talented actor, and I, he's one of those people that, and he's, oh, he's such a brilliant singer. And he's one of those people that when, like, I'm around him, I'm always just like, sing for me. Because it's just so beautiful to hear the noises that come out of his mouth. And I one time in front of him was a little hard on myself as a performer. And he said, well, and I I made some sort of comment that I was like, I mean, you're a much better singer than me. So, and he was like, well, I am. And if I were to say anything other than that, that would be ridiculous because I practice this six hours a day. I have studied with vocal coaches. No one's talking about talent. We're talking about ability. Ability is learned, but there is an underlying talent portion. 
most people aren't going to be great at singing in seven different methods. They're not going to be great at blues and show tunes and rock and industrial metal and jazz. Like, it's just not going to happen that way. So find your specialties, what you're excellent at, find what you're okay at, and learn what the fuck you never get asked to do in public. And I feel like Justin Timberlake is someone who's better when checked and reminded what he can and can't do. But this was a time in music where vocal gymnastics were some Mm. sort of badge of honor the way not being able to properly pronounce your consonants seems to be one now. And I think this was a period in time where, if I'm not mistaken, it was 2003's Heavier Things with John Mayer, and it was the fourth single from the album, Clarity, which is my favorite song on the record. But needless... But that's neither here nor there. One of the things that's of note is the end of Clarity had this incredible falsetto part. Mm. And I actually find Clarity to be a song that really represents where you can see John Mayer start to lose John Mayer into the celebrity of John Mayer. And it's it's actually really sad to listen to it because there's a yearning to there's a yearning to stay connected to the ideals that helped write that song that you can hear it's it's so hard to express. It's almost like he knows he only has so much oxygen left, but he's so upset that there's so little oxygen left that he's gasping. And it's just heartbreaking. But the end of the song had this unbelievably expressive falsetto. Honestly, the first time I even heard it, I was like, no, he can't hit those notes. They're just not in his range quite right. He sounds kind of <laughs> like, ah! the whole time. It's weird it's like he's singing into a higher pressure gauge and when the single was released in 2004 they removed those notes they replaced it with a much lower yeah run yeah because when you can d'angelo untitled how does it feel that's gorgeous please do it all the time if you're brian mcknight and you can sing just in the nick of time one you're like a dream come true i'm i'm with you Hit those notes. If you are Mika and anyone tries to stop you from hitting any note, you just hit that note till their face explodes. Oh, man. You just reminded me how dope of a song Grace Kelly is. And I don't think I've thought about that song in like 10 years. I actually am an enormous Mika fan. My favorite record by Mika is The Boy Who Knew Too Much. And I think if you really want to hear a song that exemplifies, like, and I'm serious and I'm going to kind of maybe make you go on. If you want to hear a song that reminds me of the childhood joy that you and I used to experience with our friends when we were just having a good time being ridiculous, listen to We Are Golden. When I hear that teenage dreams in a teenage circus running around like a clown on purpose who gives a damn about the family you come from, there's no giving up when you're young and you want some. Oh my god. Oh, it is true joy. And he shows off his badass delivery chops on the next track on the record blame it on the girls it's he's so talented and his voice is so immense and i don't think there's a note he can't hit i just fucking love and uh he's released i think at this point four incredible records uh they're not all gems top to bottom but the opportunity to get to listen to him hit those notes it's like vitas but likable so that's of note yeah if you don't if you don't know mika um I would I would check out some of his songs. I I, just, I forgot about him until right now because it's just it, yeah it's just uh he's very much got a uh, this is probably reductive and like a simple comparison but for to try to elevator pitch him into someone from someone who's never listened to him if you like campy piano Freddie Mercury you're probably gonna like Mika yeah hundred percent hundred percent Mika is like Freddie Mercury doing a Russian saloon cabaret thousand <laughs> percent I think that's a really great comparison and I think everybody involved would be really touched by that comparison absolutely it's a really yeah he's just such a phenomenal vocal performer he gives me a lot to believe in in terms of like your voice never has to stop growing and you're right about this period being very um vocal gymnastics and it's not even only in pop because we've talked about this band before and spoilers we're gonna talk about them on the very last track of this album no one needs to be bouncing to falsetto in a fucking pop punk song man 
No. Th- yeah, it's no one needs that. Because it became their thing, but no one needs that. Truly, pop punk should be something we can all enjoy together. It's an idea of a communal music that we can share. Because let's face it, punk, punk, and its ideologies can be alienating from people who don't want to associate the political with their music, and it's so hard to avoid all politics in punk. So you can be a pop punk fan, and that's fucking fine too. And it's lighthearted, and it's fun, and it's easy, and you should be able to sing along. You shouldn't need to train with Barbara Streisand's vocal coach for six months to be able to sing the lead track off of a pop punk record. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna ever say that Swing Swing doesn't like slap as a song, but that song's first note you think it's slap slaps <laughs> on the vocals does does not need to it does not need to start with someone slowly letting the air out of a balloon. She's seeing other guys. Yeah. I can't hit these notes. So. It's just it makes that song so much un like for as whiny as that song is, that cranks the the whininess up to eleven. Yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it's, that's for later. Any Smashing Pumpkins song would be whiny, but Billy Corgan just takes it that extra mile. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, so say it right. Track three, my love. Track five, we skip track four, and I I gotta say this is in the running for the best trifecta. Of songs in a row on a now ever, this is a murderer's row, and the rest of this now, I'm sorry, it's it's not great from here on out. But number four, Beyonce, irreplaceable. Fuck, I love this song so much. I'm going to be real. I 1 million percent think B-Day is like top to bottom an incredible record. And I feel like whether it's Ring the Alarm or the Beautiful Liar, there's just so many good songs on this record. But I, I feel like this song suffered from uh what's the phrase i'm looking drive me crazy to death i explain yeah i hit a point where if i heard this song one more time i was going to scream into the darkness till it took me this song i put on a list with ironically enough single ladies but also hey ya where it was just like a song i could not escape that Due to the sound of the song. So, okay. I think the first time I heard this song, I said, oh, this is a Neo song. Because everything about this song is a Neo song. Mm. And I love Beyonce, but I sometimes think Beyonce gets a little too much vocal gymnastics credit. She's a very powerful singer, but she is a more powerful singer in her middle and lower ranges. And I think this song stretches toward the upper break of her vocals in a lot of places and it just starts to hit me like the wrong pitch after a while I say nothing bad about our Queen Bay, but this is not my favorite vocal performance by Beyonce especially not from this era interesting see I really think that her performance in this song is excellent and and one of her one of my favorite of hers I think she's, and I don't think, maybe at the very end of the song, she's hitting some higher stuff, but I I like that she's mostly staying in the mid-range of this song and is more emoting and performing throughout all of it. It's uh, a very story-driven song. It's simple. It uh, As I believe Nathan Rabin says uh, when he was covering her in the 2000s on the AV Club, like, the best Beyonce is fuck you, I'm awesome Beyonce. And I think this is a very good example of that. Uh, without being as obnoxious as like single ladies, which I do agree that song um, was driven into the ground and into our ears like with a fucking uh, construction auger. But I, maybe maybe there's been enough time between this song's popularity or at least its um, consistency, ubiquity, and uh, and now that I I fell in love with it all over again hearing it. Uh, I wish I had a baseline. It, it it kind of is falling in with a lot, um, something I've accused a lot of songs in this era of doing is not having any bottom to it 
uh, there's, just, there's just no bass here whatsoever. And I think it could use a, even if it was just like someone playing the root notes, I think it would be enough. But uh, it feels a little hollow. But yeah, I, I love her voice on this. Sorry. You actually accuse Neo songs of that a lot, which, you know, it's really funny. When I went to, I went to think about the parts that I wanted to say, because like I can actually pick out exactly where I don't like the notes. Okay. I don't like the, the first, I can have another you in a minute. I mm. feel like it sounds really forced, like she ran out of breath. I can see that. she had to <laughs> it out. I think the, how I'm never going to find a man like you that leads us into the pre-chorus, that run at the end of the first verse is kind of all over the place. And I think she spends so much time building the the irreplaceable. Like it, there's so much miasma to this song that strips away some of the simplicity and elegance of it. When this song came out, my husband's mother had recently separated from the guy she was seeing. And so Kevo said that this song kind of reminded him of what his mom was going through. So when it would come on, you know, he would kind of, he had this cute little dance he did. It was like drawing a box, placing stuff in it, um, and then shoving the box to the left. Okay. He like drew a box in the air, put his hands in it, and then pushed. It was really cute. And so I remember thinking that this song was like anthemic. And I remember thinking this should be a song that everyone should just be able to sing. This should be a song that makes you feel good. One of the things that made Lady Marmalade work was that even if you couldn't Maya, I guess you could a little Kim, and if it was that bad, you could just Missy the chorus, you know what I mean? So there were things that anybody could latch on to. I don't think this is a song that anybody can sing, but I think it's meant to be a song that anybody can connect with. And we were just talking about how pop punk should be something that is hyper accessible. But this song is not accessible, vocally speaking, by the average singer. This song is exclusively for Beyonce. I can hear the limited version that Neo might have presented at some point. I can hear it in there. A simpler version that is just as powerful and likely just as successful. And I don't mean to take anything from Beyonce's brilliant version. As a producer, I'm not saying I could have done it better. I'm just saying I can hear something I would have done differently. I would have given this song the accessibility that it's trying to claim to me it has. And instead of putting it in the hands of someone who is dynamically showcasing their range. You know, um, I'm not going to look for it because I'm lazy and I'm not getting paid. Uh, But I bet there is a really good live version of this somewhere that fixes a lot of the problems we have. Because I bet she's preserving her vocals a little bit live. And I bet if it's live band, there's a little bit of space in there too. Um, so I would imagine, I would guess there's probably a really great live version of this out there somewhere. I would have to assume, especially because she is very clever, and I know that she thinks about arrangements for small performances as well. She's somebody who wants to know her music in and out. You know, Beyonce on the beat requires knowing that beat. So, and I, I do want to point out that I have um, probably on the last five six straight nows i've kind of talked about how like the the pop song that's like acoustic guitar led with a female vocalist uh is boring and trite this is an example of it done correctly because every instrument including the vocals uh feeds back off of each other into a really cohesive uh concept and a cohesive idea instead of just kind of being pop girl with acoustic guitar you know and i really in that, yeah, and I think that her voice sounds so perfect on an acoustic guitar. One of my all-time favorite Beyonce, and we don't ever hear that either. Well, one of my, ironically, one of my all-time favorite Beyonce performances has her way up in her upper register for no reason. Her cover of "Emotions" with Destiny's Child by the Bee Gees, by the Bee Gees, okay, by the Bee Gees. Oh well, where it's so much of that light, airy acoustic, and she's so high up there, but I feel like she's delicate there in a way she's not delicate here. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I the only way, the only thing that I'll counter, and I agree with you, that songs that are anthemic and songs where everyone can say, I mean, you can't say to the left today without someone like thinking of, you can, so you can't say somebody and stop before 
someone goes, once told me, or like, it's been, someone's going to go, one week. Like, there's just certain phrases now that have kind of been corrupted by songs. And um, I, I think there is something, I think this is a song that it doesn't matter that people can't hit the notes because it's for singing in a group of people drunk and it doesn't matter if you're hitting the notes it's for singing as loud as you can in the car while like mascara tears run down your face like it's sometimes sometimes a song can have a meaning where it doesn't matter if you hit the notes but you're going to sing them anyway because they they capture a feeling i don't disagree with that in the least and if i made it sound like you need to be you know a vocal gymnastic performer in order to sing i totally didn't mean it i more mean there's a level of self-shame associated there's things like chumbawamba's tub thumping where it doesn't actually matter if you hit the notes or if you even come fucking close as long as you make the sounds you're right. fine and britney spears's baby one more time that's another one where you don't really need to hit the notes you just need mm. to make the noises but this song is focused on the vocals it i got okay you know it's like i totally and i i totally apologize because i feel like then that's what i was portraying no 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 that's not what i meant I, I got I, you. I just feel like it's Jessica Simpson's sweetest sin. Mm-hmm. 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 It's it's how uh, you know if 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 a group of girls are doing bye 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 at karaoke, they're just gonna get away with it every time. But if like one girl is doing a mediocre, irreplaceable, it's gonna stand out a lot more. Yes. Yes. If yeah. you get up there and you do drive me crazy with your girlfriends, that's awesome. If you get up there and you do, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman, by yourself. No. Rip. So what's next? <sighs> Man, I'm gonna I feel like I'm gonna miss Timbaland and Beyonce town in about one second. Akon featuring Snoop Dogg, I wanna love you. Alright, there's worse songs that we could have to transition out of that, but I've said it before, like Snoop Dogg was done by like 2004 man anytime he shows up it just brings the song down i don't know that it brings the song down because i don't think there's a whole lot of song to bring down i think akon fascinatingly enough akon is one of those performers who rose to prominence on a scam like ja rule oh go on so like ja rule akon built his thing on being the convict oh i yes was yes 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 akon and it turned out he spent less than 48 hours in a... I'm sure that just blew somebody's mind. What, what? Akon. I'm sure Akon, like that pun, I'm sure someone's mind just fucking blew up. Like, no, oh my God, I, I just can't. Yeah, a convict. Heads popping everywhere like the end of Scanners. Oh man, it's like that yeah. scene from Dusk Till Dawn. So I... <laughs> Akon built this entire... Oh no, 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 not... That was worth saying. Akon built an entire career on the lie that he was a convict, that he was someone not to be fucked with. And I think that's an amazing lie because he sounds like Kermit the Frog, number one. And number two, he doesn't really provide unique perspective. Something that most people who rise to success on the value of their experiences are able to do is provide an experience that we're not hearing somewhere else. One of the things that really helped capture America for Eminem was the anger of the white man forgotten in the destroyed white city. Not to say that there were only white problems in Detroit, but we were constantly hearing about inner city issues among black among black performers and Eminem lent credence to the lent credence to the white performers in a way that wasn't really happening because you know Vanilla Ice went and fucked it for everybody, and Fifty Cent yeah just look the part of having been shot ninety seventeen times, but he was handsome as fuck, and he was built, and his mm-hmm. delivery was unique, so heroes to prominence on a value that he could bring that no one else could now snoop dogg is also someone who sounds a little bit like a muppet so 
I feel like all you really needed was like a Shakira remix, and this song would have just been yodeling at some point. But... Oh no, oh no. no. So, I feel like I Wanna Love You is just forgettable. <sighs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I again, it's... It stays in 2007, like most of Akon's stuff does, except you'll always get a pass for I Just Had Sex. Uh, and I think I'm grading a little bit on the now and again curve as well. I think we've had so many R&B songs about fucking. This is just one of the better ones we've had. So I think I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the mindset of putting it in the context of that, that it's getting, you know, benefiting from the, the now and again curve. And uh, yeah, outside of this context... You're probably right, but... For my money, Akon featuring Snoop Dogg, I Wanna Love You, is not as good as Lloyd featuring Lil Wayne's You. You move that good, you done got my heart all in it And I just wanna be with you tonight Girl, please, I'm a player, yeah, it's true And that makes me a fucking lunatic, but I think that riff from Spandau Ballet is true belongs in everything. <laughs> it is such a fucking solid sample. It is like 100%. As soon as it happened, I'm making out in my shagging wagon. It is everything <laughs> to me. I am back in my, what was it? I had a silver Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra Supreme 1989 with a slightly wrong colored door and just a tape deck and I am immediately scrolling to PLJ before it became a religious station earlier this summer and Spandau Ballet comes on and I'm just ha 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 wait that's Lil Wayne what's happening and I'm completely (laughs) in it I think I think this song's a little stupid to be honest (laughs) you know she's hot but you're the one I'm gonna fuck and like, it's, but it's a hot track. Spandau Ballet, like that that song comes on, and I'm immediately. I mean, I I was uh, what zero through four in the '80s, being born in '86. But despite that, that song comes on, and I'm at 1987 prom dancing with Ali Sheedy every single time. Like that song is so of a again of a moment, but. It's magic. It, it, it at least brings you back to that moment where, like, if this song came on now, it's just like, where, where does this even belong? But yeah, no, that song is, is magic. And, and this song coasts off of a very, uh, very good song. And uh, is this our first Lil Wayne? I feel like we've maybe had him featured once before. Yeah, I feel like, wasn't he on, I, I want to say he was on, like, a Dem Franchise Boys also with Bow Wow or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So we haven't had full, like, the Carter Lil Wayne yet, which, uh, I guess that's something to look forward to in the future. Well, and real quick, speaking of Bow Wow, uh, we're skipping seven because it's Chris Brown and fuck that guy. And I guess that means we're skipping 11 because it's Chris Brown and fuck that guy. But I kind of, as much as I love Ciara, I don't know if everyone realizes that Promise was written and produced by R. Kelly featuring a remix featuring R. Kelly. So I think fuck that guy. Agreed. And it's unfortunate that Ciara kind of gets thrown under the bus on that because I generally like Sierra even though I don't think about her a lot. You know, she's she's a little bit of an also-ran, but every time she does come up, I like the song. So I hope we can give her some more love uh, eventually. And if you want to hear people give Bow Wow love, go listen to Too Fast, Too Forever. They do they do a Tokyo Drift episode every now and then, so you can hear them talk about him being good in that movie. Well, somehow. speaking of somehow, I don't know how else to say it, but he manages to do it Tim Mosley is the writer on the next song too. Icebox by Omarion is also by Timbaland. Also notably, it's uh one of the one of the songwriters is um Carrie Hilson. Right? That's pretty cool, because Carrie Hilson's... That sounds super familiar. Carrie Hilson's pretty cool. Sometimes love comes around. Just get back up when it knocks you down, right? Okay. She's super great, and she's one of those Carly Rae Jepsen. I wrote 168 songs, and I'm just like, okay, okay, very... 
Good for you. I bet they're all the same thing. But um, <laughs> I think it's remarkable that this. So do you know? Do, do you know why I know so much about Icebox by Omarion? <laughs> I I do not. Oh, okay. Uh, it uses a sample from Chrono Trigger. <laughs> You're shitting me. No, uh, I had to look up the song, but I remembered that it was Chrono Trigger. That rules. It uses memories of Green from the Chrono Trigger original soundtrack. Fuck yeah. I, I, I like the song even more now. I knew it was a Chrono Trigger song. I just had to check. Would somebody out there please, please do something with the DuckTales moon? level theme it's it's too good to just be that someone sample that or do something with it because that is like the best nes soundtrack song out there just someone i'm just putting that out there into the world in hopes it hits somebody's ears uh, omarion is somebody that i i'm gonna use a sports analogy here okay hit me he's not your star quarterback and he's not your wide receiver who's gonna catch 70 yard bombs right uh he's a guy he's like your third string wide receiver that isn't getting all the credit. He's not getting all the endorsements. But like, if you look at his stat lines, every game he's got 11 catches for 150 yards, but no touchdowns. So everyone forgets about him. Like he's been consistent and solid and a, a, a second tier bright spot on every single now that he has been on. And if I can, to make it a little bit gayer, not that, you know, not that sports aren't getting plenty gay. What's up, guys? Thank you all for coming mm-hmm. out. And record droves. But it's kind of like people forget that the first EGOT belongs to Rita Moreno. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because it's easy to forget that the first EGOT belongs to Rita Moreno because she's not necessarily the first name you think of. She has her Oscar and Tony, both for performing in West Side Story. She has an Emmy from The Electric Company, which was a children's television program in the 80s, and she has the Grammy for its matching soundtrack. So... She is an EGOT, and she has a number of awards on top of that, as well as numerous extra wins in some of those categories. She is on the Revival of One Day at a Time, which, one more time, it's about a single Cuban war veteran doctor mother trying to hold together her family with a mother who doesn't believe in medication and uh, a lesbian daughter and a sexual deviant of a son and it is like oh my god it's just the best sitcom like maybe ever it was designed for me everything I just said to you it was designed for me they're obsessed with Buffy on it huh. uh, in one episode they uh, it's so cool uh, a friend of mine Terry is just so fucking super fucking mega talented and he's a comic book writer and Elena is reading one of his comics in one of the episodes Nice, nice. So that's so fucking great. You know, could not be happier. Could not have happened to a better guy. So that's pretty cool. So I think we need to make a quick decision here. Um, we are on track 11. I don't, we're at an hour, you know, not having cuts and stuff like that. Probably a little bit, probably not too much to cut here. Um, so let's say we're at like 58 minutes. Do we think we can have an hour and a half episode if we go on now? Or should we, I think, I think we don't have that much to say about these last songs. I think we do. I think we. I think this is one episode. Think so? I do. I think because I easily have... That's fine. We can do two short episodes. I'm fine with that. I think I have five minutes on all ten songs. All right. So we are uh, skipping Shitlord's songs, and we are on track 11. But we are going to cut it here because Side B comes... Uh, because Side B comes next. And Nico, where can people find you until they need you more of you in Side B? Oh, until you guys need more of me inside you, you can catch me. Uh, that wasn't <laughs> what you said. My bad. You guys can catch me. Uh, no, that no, that's exactly what I said. You guys can catch me all over New York City, whether it's at events like New York Comic Con or FIT's Diversity Con at the end of the month. You can also check out some information about my upcoming opera workshop, The Interlopers, which will also be in October. I have a very busy October. I will of course be at Nerdino in Philly in. November and let's see you can also check me out on this amazing network here on shows like X's for Podcast where along with my incredible team Jonah, Dylan, Kyle and yes even Kevo appears on that one we take a look at all sorts of facets of comic books 
Whether it's 1980s mutant mania X-Men or the reemergence of the X-Men as the dominant species in Jonathan Hickman's groundbreaking House and Powers of X-10, we could not be more excited. And keep a lookout because we've got a couple of new feeds coming your way later on. Don't forget to check out HTML, which is Husbands Talking More or Less, where along with my husband, Kevo, we take a look at different sci-fi and movie franchises and everything that's wrong with them and why they should be gayer. We've already covered the MCU as well as the Fox Marvelverse with a keen eye on Phoenix to tie in with a show, X is for Podcast, where we did a special Phoenix Apocrypha miniseries. Don't forget to check out my Instagram where I'm always naked. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. I'm Nico Action. Hey, Chris, where can everybody find you? I didn't understand any of those words except naked Nico. Uh, so I am uh, I'm here and uh, I'm on Twitter at Chris Podcast, but I'm using it less and less because that is a hell site and it just makes me miserable every time I use it. If you're on Twitter, you understand. Uh, so just find me here. I'm uh, at now and again. I show up on some of the other shows. I've been dabbling in High School Slumber Party recently, so you can go check out my episode or episodes, depending on when they drop, over there. And, uh, yeah, that is it. Until next time, with um, a bunch of Power Pop and Mom Rock, we'll catch you on the flip side. Flip-flop! Flip-flop!